We're back with another Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston along with Rob Flint. Rob, how are you? Doing great, Brett. How about you? I'm doing great. Hey, we had a really, really... One of my favorite podcasts so far yesterday with... He's a legend, right? He is a legend. It's not too far to say that Randy Allen is a legend. No, he definitely is. What, he's the fourth all-time winningest Texas high school football coach in the history of Texas? And will is my prediction. He'll get to number three within. I don't think he needs, but like two seasons. Two and seasons. He should be there. Yeah. So it's fantastic. So Randy Allen was a fantastic guest. And let me set the stage here. We met at the Highlander Stadium, where Highland Park plays football. And you hear about all these great stadiums. Like Allen built a sixty million dollar stadium. I'm sure it's nice. I haven't been to it. To call this stadium a dump might be kind. Yeah. It was it was kind of crappy in there. Yeah. And it was awesome at the same time. It was great. I absolutely loved it. And we were in the bowels of the stadium, second second floor. I've never been in that area before. Neither have I. And lots of uh, tradition all over the walls as far as the messaging and the branding. And you and I went through the pictures of, on the walls of the folks who played at Highland Park, who then went on to play football in college. And it's it's a... Uh, a good mix of uh, who's who in Highland Park football, you know, history. Um, Several of them there. in the NFL, from Matt Stafford yeah. to Nick Rose, Drew Small. I got to give Drew that Sm- yeah. to Drew. <laughs> hey, Drew, how are you? So it was awesome, and I hope that they never change it because that's the way football is supposed to be. So I loved it. And Randy sat down and he talked to us not just about football, but there's a lot of things that he said, a lot of uh, a lot of advice that applies not just on the football field, but in the home or in the office. Yes, throughout life. Yes. Um, you know, we, we first talk about what everybody has on the top of their mind, at least people who support Highland Park football, but the, uh, the incredible state championship victory over Manville in December. Great game. Yes. And, and you and I both agreed that it was probably one of the best football games that we've ever seen in person. And that includes, oh, yeah. you know, high school, college or pro. Absolutely. The people from Manville may disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they may disagree. But you know, we we you're right. So we you know he he has his own story, and he's had a, a long, fruitful coaching career. He's come across, I mean, thousands of kids. Think about all the kids that he has coached, the lives that he has touched over the years during his career. It's it's really incredible. And it, you know, he's he started off, you know, being raised in Abilene, and then you know the one thing that I think it's worth mentioning is that he talks about. The heartbreaking loss when he was in high school, yeah, uh, in the great. state championship game in 1967, Abilene Cooper versus Austin Reagan, and his uh, time at SMU, and then what he went to Bryan and Ballinger, Ballinger, Brownwood, Brownwood, back to Abilene, and yep. then on and then on to Highland, Highland Park. Park for a long time. Yeah, now. so I think you're gonna like it. Uh, Randy Allen was a very gracious guest. We really enjoyed having him on. Uh, thank yeah, thanks, you, Coach, Coach Allen. And he does. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and tease this a little bit. He does answer the question because I asked him how much longer are you gonna coach, and he's gonna answer that coming up in the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. All right, we're back with episode number twenty of the Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston, as always, with Rob Flint. Rob, how you doing? Doing well, Brett. How are you? I'm doing great. And, and our guest today is uh, Highland Park head coach Randy Allen. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm fine, Brett. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, we've <laughs> we've had a lot of guests on this show that have, have been very accomplished in their lives, but this might be the first time we've ever had anybody who can truly be described as a legend. <laughs> That's true. How, how does how does being called a legend sit with you? Well, it probably means I'm old. That's one thing. <laughs> I've been around for a long time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think coaches, uh, some people over-exaggerate a coach's life sometimes after a big win or after a championship or something. But uh, it's an honor to be a Highland Park football coach, and it's an honor to win the state championship and coach a bunch of great kids. And We've just had an unusual amount of success here, especially recently. And uh, uh, as a result of that, anytime a coach wins some championships and the team's successful, the coach has some honors and things that happen in his life. And so, it's it's been a lot of it's been enjoyable and a lot of fun. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Coach Allen, Coach Allen is the fourth winningest Texas high school coach in history. 
And he is just off of back-to-back state championships with, uh, in Class 5A Division I with Highland Park. And that last game against Manville is going to go down as one of the greatest games ever played. Manville, for all intents and purposes, going into the game, and even with only about four minutes left, there's no reason Highland Park should win that game. Is that one of the greatest wins you've ever been a part of? It, it is one of the greatest wins. I mean, I've been in some very close games that we've won in the last seconds, but never one of that significance, never a state championship. But we were actually behind 47 minutes and 26 seconds of the game and only ahead the last 34 seconds. And wow. then Manville ended on our one-yard line with a chance to go in to, to score to, to win it. So... You know, I've, people have been around football for a long time that watched that football game, made that comment on TV, uh, Craig Way and Rick Renner, and said that in 38 years of covering UIL state championships, that that was the greatest finish and the, maybe the greatest championship game they'd ever seen. So what a, what a great tribute to our players and uh, for the way they reacted and came back against adversity and never gave up. And... You know, they had to make plays in the last part of the game to keep us in it. And every time that we were in a bind and it was fourth and 15, they found a way to make it. Now, when, when Highland Park uh, scored to go ahead and there was, you know, I think what, about a minute left or maybe less than a minute left, were you, were you worried that there was too much time left on the clock and being able to stop them? Or did you have, you know, 100% confidence in your defense that you'd just find a way to get a stop? Well, it was more uh, respect for Manville and their ability to make big plays than it was worried about our defense. I mean, there were 34 seconds left. The first thing you got to do is kick off to them, and they'd return to kick off 100 yards for a touchdown earlier in the game, so that's a little bit scary. And then it took them uh, two plays to get down to our 30-yard line to where they could throw a Hail Mary in the end zone with 14 seconds left. So they threw one Hail Mary in the end zone, and he was out of bounds. So they came right back through the same Jalen Preston, who had been outstanding the whole game, uh, caught it on the one-yard line, James Herring, and Hudson Clark brought him down. But, uh, you know, I – I don't know. I tell my wife this. She gets on to me because I don't show much emotion after a state championship win. But I'm too busy processing trying to think of the next play. And the first thing I thought of after that play is I saw the referee run towards the play, and I saw their coach giving a timeout signal. And I thought, they're going to put one second on the clock let them run one more play. And so instead of me going out with our football team and celebrating, on the field, I'm still on the sidelines waiting to see what that referee's going to do. And uh, as it turned out, there was time on the 25-second clock, but there was no time on the game clock. So the James Herring had kept him in, in his grasp long enough for the clock to tick off. So how – I mean, you, you do have a very calm demeanor on the sideline, but, you know – of course, this is not the same level as you. We, we coach our children in Y sports. And, and, and as, as a parent coach, uh, you can experience several heart attacks during you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the course of a game. Now, do you experience that internally, this, the ups and the downs, and you just, you, you just got a way of, of masking that? Or are you like all of us? We're you know, dying you know, three and four times during the course of that game this is the way it happens for me is that I have to be level because I know there's going to be ups and downs to the game and I can't let it affect me mentally so that I'm ready to call. I got to be a play ahead is what I'm trying to say. And you can't be a play ahead if you're, if you're going to be affected by the ups and downs of the game. And so you have to keep a level temperament and, and I really am not, not emotional. I'm more, uh, level-headed or consistent because I'm thinking, I guess is the best word to say, about what I'm going to do the next play. And, uh, you know, between series is the only time that I might be emotional with our players. And, and I, I don't get mad at them, but it's, I, I would show some passion on the sidelines. If, if it's eight minutes to go, we drive the ball down against Denton Ryan and don't give them a chance to get the ball back. Uh, our offense took it on our 
I don't know, five-yard line, and we ate up the last eight minutes of the game so that Dent Ryan never got a chance to get back on the game. Well, I, I do get passionate when I go talk to our offensive linemen about, hey, we got them. If we can just dominate the line of scrimmage, it's so we can finish this thing right now. And uh, But as far as uh, being up and down during the game and emotional, I might get upset with an official's call, and I do show some emotion. I'll tell you a funny story. It happened to me. When I was at Abilene Cooper, we had played uh, Midland Lee, I think, the night – I think it was Midland Lee the night before. And uh, I, we got a call that I thought was bad. And I hollered at the referee very loudly. And uh, the next day I was going to watch my daughter play volleyball in Monaghan. So we got in the car and drove, and, and my chest started tightening up. And uh, coming back, it hurt so bad I had to lay down in the back seat. And I told my wife, I said, honey, if this thing doesn't let up, we're going to have to go to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room. I'm laying there. We got Permian the next week. So that's the district championship game. And I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get to work. I got to start preparing. And uh, the cardiologist came in and he said, you know how many men your age have a heart attack with these symptoms? And uh, he said, you're staying in here. We're going to do a we're going to do some tests on you, and I don't have everybody here right now to do it, but you're staying probably overnight. I said, Doctor, isn't there anybody here that can give me a stress test or something so you can figure out what's wrong with me? Because I, I need to get back to work. And he found a nurse, and, and uh, so they put me on a stress test, and I was going to pass that sucker because I, <laughs> I had to get back to work. And uh, what he found is I had strained my sternum the night before hollering at officials, and the pain I was feeling was the – the muscle strain in my sternum where I'd been screaming at these officials. So, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't do any good to scream at them. It didn't change the call. Uh, and so there are ways to express your dis, displeasure with their uh, calls another way. but Without blowing out yeah, a sternum? Yeah. I, I'd like to say I, I've I want to be ready to play the next week. <laughs> I've experienced that same pain, Coach, <laughs> when, I, when I have uh, – conversations with my 15 year old son (laughs) so i want to take you back i want to i want to come back to the manville victory which again was one of the greatest football games i think ever played uh but let's go back you were a football player at abilene cooper and played at smu did you know at that time that you wanted to be a football coach i knew i wanted to be a coach when i was a I don't know, sixth grade probably. Uh, I grew up in Abilene where Chuck Mosier was the head coach in Abilene Eagles. And they won three or four state championships in a row. And the patter at my house, my dad would say, Glenn Gregory or Jimmy Carpenter were in the choir. They were National Honor Society. They ran the bleachers in the summer. They, they were all state in three different sports. And that's who I – that's my guys. Those are guys that role models that my dad put in front of me. And so that's who I wanted to be like. But Chuck Mosier was revered in Abilene because he had won no state championships. Chuck Mosier was a good man. He taught Sunday school. Uh, he was uh, a good speaker. Uh, he was a guy that uh, the people in the community highly revered. And he became the athletic director in Abilene uh, when I played. But he was kind of the the coach that I looked up to. And then my high school coach, Merrill Green, uh, came into Abilene after coaching at Texas Tech, and he had played at Oklahoma for Bud Wilkinson. But Merrill Green was uh, somebody that I wanted to be like. And what happened was I'd made a decision to be a coach. Then we played in the state championship game. My senior year got beat 19-20 to on the last play of the game. And so my goal became to go back to Abilene Cooper and get that six inches that I didn't get as a player. So that was my focus. I came to SMU to be a coach. Uh, I say this, a, pre- uh, a coach is called a coach like a preacher's called to preach. And I really felt called a coach. And my dad had been my little league coach and he coached me all the way up. And uh, I just knew the impact a coach could have on the lives of young people, been to Fellowship of Christian Athlete Conferences and listen to Tom Landry and Roger Staubach and all my heroes growing up from the Dallas Cowboys. So I knew the impact and the platform that athletes and coaches can have, and that's I wanted to use that platform for good. So let's let's go back to that 1967 season, and and this is something that that uh, we didn't know about up until the time um, that we're interviewing you now. And the game you guys played Austin Reagan. Um, and you lost 20 to 19. So 
just just for the audience, why why don't you mention a who played quarterback for your team, um, and then the events that kind of led up to the controversy surrounding the game, and and it you know just in reading some of the uh, information on the web, just just how deep that cut that loss was for you guys. Well, Jack Miller was our quarterback. Jack and I lived two blocks from each other. Grew up. Austin Elementary School, Madison Junior High, and then Abilene Cooper High School. Throw the football together, played basketball out in the front yard, uh, front of the house. And so uh, we were a real tight group. And uh, we had been undefeated, untied, unscored on us ninth graders. Uh, we went to Cooper, all four. We had four sophomores that started in the backfield, and uh, Jack was one, Kenny Stevens, myself, and Richard Richburg. John Harrison started since we were sophomores. So our senior year, we knew we were going to have a really good football team. We were picked number one, won our district. You won 14 games back in those days to win a state championship. We were 13-0 going into the state championship game, rated number one. Nobody <clears throat> had given us a, a close game. And we played Austin Reagan at Amy Carter Stadium. And uh, it froze over that day and it was hard to get from Abilene to Fort Worth or from Austin to Fort Worth and uh, we came out on the field and uh, it was the worst conditions that we had played in. Ball was wet, field was soggy if it wasn't frozen and uh, we were not very big but we were fast. We had a good, you know, we got track guys so we could run and uh, the game wound up being very close. We were ahead 19 to 7 at halftime we came out after half, and they made two drives to go ahead 19 to or 20 to 19 with probably four minutes to go. I'm not sure exactly what the clock showed, but we drove the length of the field. Uh, we got down to about the five or ten, and Coach Green sent the field goal kicker onto the field, who was a sophomore who had missed an extra point early in the game, was barefooted. That's kicker. <laughs> that, that's that's the, the barefooted yeah. kicker, the, yeah. the Rich Carlos of your team. Yeah. And uh, in the freezing cold, yeah, uh, Jack waved him off the field because he knew that the seniors, you know, we'd gotten here, we wanted to win it or lose it ourselves. So we got the ball down to the half inch, half yard line. Kenny Stevens was our tailback, and, and when he got up, he had chalk on his jersey. But instead of getting a left footed spot, we got a right footed spot, which means that when the official spotted the ball, he put his left foot where Kenny took the ball too, but he spotted it on his back foot, which put us on about the one and a half yard line. So we didn't have timeout left. So we ran a quarterback sneak from the one and a half yard line instead of from the half yard line. We thought we scored and Reagan started throwing their helmets off onto the ground. They thought they'd lost. And uh, we looked at the official. He took the football and left the field, never signaled anything. Reagan's team ran onto the field and started celebrating, and that's when we realized we'd lost the state championship. And uh, so years later, a year later, I'm playing at SMU. We're going over to TCU to play a freshman game, and I still have a really bad feeling about Eamon Carter because we got beat there. And uh, I think, you know, our teammates have the same feeling, and so – if you bring it up to the present, when we won the state championship in 2005, there were a lot of my teammates who texted me and just felt like that maybe we'd been vindicated a little bit. I, I didn't tell this part of the story. I went back to Cooper in 1990 as a head football coach. Finally got my dream. In 96, we had a really fine football team, and we went to the state championship game and played Austin Westlake, who had Drew Brees at quarterback, which at that time, I didn't know Drew Brees from Man to Moon. He was just another high school quarterback. Another high school quarterback that was too short to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had one scholarship offer to Purdue. But uh, anyway, we were tied with uh, Westlake at halftime. I had a great running back named Dominique Rhodes. And I, I did a poor job of coaching the second half. We turned the ball over several times. We got beat. So I had an opportunity to win it at Cooper, and we didn't get it done. And uh, so here I come to Highland Park, and I think my opportunity to win a state championship may have been over. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's been 48 years since Highland Park had won a state championship in 2005 when we finally won it. Uh, 
and I didn't know there were a group of eighth graders here when I came, that that was their goal, Matthew Stafford's class. But anyway, it, it's been a dream come true for me to come to Highland Park and uh, coach these kids. And, and your teammates, uh, we read, you know, like to your point, they were reaching out and, and texting you congratulations, but they felt that they were indirectly a part of your winning the state championship in 2005 and, and felt redeemed by what happened in 67. Real quick, though, the, 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 the fact that there were 30 seconds left on the clock and that, you know, the Austin Reagan folks started storming the field, I mean, you, you didn't have the opportunity to stop them, you know, get a safety in, in the cold, wet, rainy conditions, and that's just, that's crazy. And, and you think about that being in today's terms, that would never happen. Right. Right? Right. Yeah, it was very awkward. The whole ending of the game was very awkward. And, uh, you know, I mean, you couldn't help. Our coaches couldn't help but be a little bit bitter about it. You know, it took them a long time to get over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, we went back to Abilene, and, and uh, they, we went to a mall. The bus pulled up to a mall. We got a crowd of people waiting to hope. You know, they thought it was going to be the celebrated state championship. But it's now you're walking up there to platform and you didn't win it. So, yeah. the, but the streets are icy and uh, you know it was a huge disappointment. We've been rated number one all year and and uh, it, you know the weather made everything even. And and w- what I realize now is that Austin Reagan has some great football players. And uh, they went on. They had a dynasty, kind of a yes, mini they, dynasty. They won, they won qu- quite a few several after that. state championships after that. But. Uh, they some of their guys, uh, Johnny Kleinert and, and Rebold, went to Tech on scholarship, and they had a good defensive lineman that went to University of Texas. So they had some really good football players. And uh, Jack went over to Oklahoma, got third in Heisman. John Harrison went with him to Oklahoma, and was a receiver for them. But uh, anyway, it was it was a hard pill to swallow. Now, you had mentioned Coach Mosier and Coach Green as being influences on, on you coaching, as coaches you looked up to. Were there other coaches that, that you would say were mentors or people that you wanted to emulate? Well, I got a little bit out of each coach that I played for. Coach Fry at SMU. Yeah. Coach Moore was my receiver, Coach Jerry Moore, uh, who went on to Nebraska, Texas Tech, and won and beat Michigan in a great Appalachian game at Appalachian State. State. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I got a little bit along the line of from every coach that I, you, you know, and I never played for Coach Landry, obviously, but I watched him on TV and, and, and I listened to him at FCA conferences. So uh, all those coaches had impact on me uh, because I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to, to emulate the best in coaches that I, that I played for or got to know. Now, were you – Okay, so you, you graduate in 68, um, and, and you uh, come to SMU. You, you ended up lettering in football and in baseball. Were you uh, given any other offers to other universities, or was it just SMU? And, or is SMU where you always wanted to go and play or, and go to school? No, Coach Fry did a great job recruiting us, and I, and I thought Jack was going to go to school at SMU. Jack had his dad was a Southwest Conference official so uh, when we were in high school Jack and his dad would invite me to go with them to watch the Southwest Conference game and we came to watch SMU play Texas Tech and uh, then we went see Arkansas play TCU on the same night or same day and uh, so Coach Fry knew the Mildred family and had already started recruiting Jack earlier in his career so uh, there were four of us from our football team that came to SMU, but Jack wound up not being one of them. Maybe that answers was, your was Was that due to uh, Barry Switzer's uh, <laughs> innate ability to recruit? <laughs> well, we had an old man in Abilene named James Saxton, who Jack went to work for after he played pro football. So that might have had a little bit to do with <laughs> Did it. Did Mr. Saxton uh, go to Oklahoma also? Yes. Yeah. Well, how about that? All right, so – you, you start coaching. Your first season as a head coach is at Ballinger High School. So when <laughs> I just got to think, you know, in my mind that once you take over as head coach, it's got to be kind of intimidating because everybody's looking at you for the vision, the strategy, and everything. And 
you know, if you compare that first season with where you are now, where the traditions are so strong and there's so many plaques and billboards and signs up here in, in this room that, with your goals and objectives for the team, how did you start off? Was it intimidating? Ballinger had their own traditions, and uh, I, happened to knew, I happened to know one of the men that created that tradition. His name was Bob Wright. He lived in Bryan, Texas, and uh, so I went over to Bob's house, and I asked him about all these Ballinger traditions, and uh, he was very passionate about the Ballinger Bearcats. His daddy had been one of the first coaches at Ballinger, and then he had followed in his footsteps. And, uh, for example, at our pep rallies, there was a bearcat head on the stage, a wooden bearcat head, very large one. There was one green eye and one brown eye. And uh, I noticed that our kids had their heads down when, during the pep rally. And I asked one of the coaches, I said, why do the kids have their heads down? I said, well, they're, they're thinking about the game. The only time they look up is when the speaker talks, and they look at the green eye of the bearcat. And uh, so, you know, even though I didn't know much about Ballinger, I found out about those traditions. And uh, they hadn't had a winning season, hadn't had to been, hadn't been in the playoffs in 16 years when I went there. So we were rebuilding, trying to change a culture. And it had been so long since they had won that they knew how to lose, but they didn't know how to win. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one of the most gratifying things to work in, in those five years, take them to playoffs. And, and uh, I think the third year we beat the number one team in the state in Littlefield. And uh, I had some great players and uh, still keep in contact with some of those guys. And they went into coaching and I hired some of them. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. So did you just get them to look at the brown eye instead of the green eye? Was that, was that the trick? <laughs> yeah. So, so early on in your, in your head coaching career, was there ever a time where you second-guessed yourself as far as, man, I don't know if, if I want to stay in coaching yeah. or get into another field. Well, my first year at Bowser, we won our first game. This is how it went. We, we played the Winter's Blizzards the first game. Winter's Blizzards the first game, and that was like 16 miles away, so they were our big rival. We had one good football player named Todd Cozart. During two days, I got a kidney stone and wound up being in the emergency room and they put me in the hospital. And so I was knocked out for almost the night. And the next day I got up and the coaches came in my hospital room and I said, how did practice go? And they, oh, everything went fine. Well, I go to practice after getting released from the hospital and Cozart's limping. What happened to Cozart? Oh, he stepped in a hole yesterday. He stepped in a hole well, <laughs> Cozart knows he's, he, he broke his foot, but he's not going to go to the doctor because he knows he can't play against the winner's blizzards. So we start the game off. He scores two touchdowns or two or three touchdowns in the first half. He's throwing up at halftime because his foot's swollen up so much, so he can't play the second half. So we won that game. It takes him eight games to rehab, so we lose the next eight. He gets back, and we win the last game. <laughs> and... Uh, I told my wife, she calls it a, a blue funk, but I'm thinking, how do I get out of here? I said, my job at Bryan's already been taken, Phil, so I can't go back to Bryan. I can't get another head job because we're two and eight. And so I really felt trapped. I said, you know, the only thing I can do is just work my tail off and do the best I can do with these kids here. And we wound up going to the playoffs the next year uh, with That's a bunch great. of kids that had never won before. That's fantastic. The interesting story, though, is I had a sophomore quarterback on the JV team. And late in the year, we had some injuries, and I had to move him up. And the first pass he threw was for a touchdown. His name was Aaron Cassie. And Aaron wound up getting a scholarship to Texas Tech. But he's the one that led us out of the wilderness. He's the one that led us to the playoffs. Uh, he had the scholarship offered to Texas Tech. And he played in the Texas High School All-Star Game at Texas High School Coaches Convention in Houston. And on the way there, I drove him to Houston. He's the first one in his family ever to go to college. So we're driving to Houston, and we stopped at Texas A&M. I take him up to Kyle Field, and I said, Aaron, one of these days you might play at Kyle Field, and you might leave Texas Tech to a victory here. His freshman year, true freshman year, he is the Southwest Conference Player of the Year because he beat the Aggies at Kyle Field. Wow. 
<laughs> and as a Red Raider myself, there, there is nothing more pleasurable than beating the Aggies on Kyle Field. Guns out. So five years of Ballinger, and then you go to Brownwood as head coach. So, and I think it's really interesting here because, as I said when we started, you're number four in most wins. Number three on the list is Gordon Wood, who you replaced right. at Brownwood. And Brownwood has seven state titles, so two more than Highland Park. How was it replacing a legend at that time in your career? Yeah, if you want to talk about a legend, that's a real legend. <laughs> well, I was young enough and probably naive enough to think that, you know, that was a good job. And uh, <laughs> I had a friend. Kind of uh, like replacing Bear Bryant in yeah. Alabama. <laughs> you don't want to be the first guy. You want to be the second yes. guy. But I had a friend on the school board that called me and wanted to know if I'd be interested in interviewing for that job. And uh, I said, Bill, that, there's no reason to interview for that job. Coach Wood's going to name his successor. And he said, no, the board's going to do it. And uh, so I interviewed for the job. And anyway, long story short, it was a great challenge. Uh, probably the only year that we exceeded expectations was the first year. Coach Wood had gone in the community and said, Coach Allen would be lucky if he wins five games. You know, he was trying to help me out. Right. And uh, he would take me to his coffee shops. He had a coffee shop at the drugstore and a coffee shop at the Holiday Inn. And where he would have a group of men that would meet with him in the mornings and they would talk football, talk shop. So he took me to those places and introduced me to those friends. And uh, the funny thing about Coach Wood, I inherited a lot of his coaching staff. So it, would not, it's not an, it was not unusual on the weekends for him to interrupt a staff meeting and call about four of them out of the, the meeting and take them to change the irrigation pipes for the watering the field. The, <laughs> for some reason, the field was such – the grass was a big deal to him. The day of the first pep rally – now listen to this. I coached against my, – my first game at Brownwood was against Abilene Cooper. Oh, we wow. played in Brownwood. After the pep rally, now in Brownwood, the school, the, the coach's name is in the school song. Here's to Coach Wood's Lions. Boys. Here's to Coach well, now it became here's to Coach Allen's Lions. So we'd just gone through that, and the superintendent says, Get in the car. And uh, I mean, it's the day of the game. So I get in the car with him, we drive out to the football field, and Coach Wood's in an argument with the head of maintenance and they're in the middle of the field about the length of the grass on the football field. And the superintendent says, uh, well, there's a disagreement here between how high this grass ought to be for the game tonight. What do you want it to be? And I said, well, what does maintenance want it to be? And they said, well, they want it this high. I said, well, that's, do it that high. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Well, Coach Wood got mad, got in his car. There's a track around the field. He peeled out on that track, threw gravel all over the place. <laughs> he was so mad because that, it's Gordon Wood Stadium now. I mean, but he felt like he still had ownership of that whole thing. Sounds like he wasn't completely retired. <laughs> well, it, it was uh, five years of you know, hard work, and then I just, it's hard to coach when you can't exceed the expectations of a legend, and that's what it was. Yeah. Now, did you ever have a moment in the movie Friday Night Lights, you see, when he loses a game, all of a sudden he wakes up the next morning, and he's got for sale signs on his front yard, and people are throwing rocks through his windows. Did you ever have anything like that happen, to where you lost a game, and all of a sudden the community turned on you? No. Uh... No, I never had that happen. Uh, that that was about Odessa Permian, and, and I'd heard that Coach Gaines at Odessa Permian had some of that happen to his house, but that never happened in Brownwood. Good, good. <laughs> so after Brownwood, you go back to Abilene Cooper as their head coach. You spent eight seasons there. That had to be in a, a great homecoming for you. It was, and uh, <laughs> they had won one game the year before I came, and uh, – I asked the players, I said, who do you want to beat worse than anybody else? And they said, Abilene High. Well, Abilene High had only won one game, too. That was against Cooper. So <laughs> I said, guys, we got to change our attitude. The, the team we want to beat is the Permian Panthers because they're the team that wins the district and state championship coming out of here. So it took us a while to, to change the, the thought, the thinking, and the way that our kids perform. But uh, – you know, we finally got it done and uh, beat the Permian Panthers and got to the playoffs. And uh, 
had some great years there. It was uh, I got to coach my son, which is a real highlight. He played quarterback for us, and uh, we got beat by the Louisville Farmers, who went on to win the state championship, I think, in '94. So you coach your son, and and uh, this last season you coached your grandson, right? So, and and I want to go back and 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 talk a little bit more about your coaching career, but I think it's a great point to bring up. In this, you're not you're not just a coach; you're a, you're a husband and a dad. How important is family to you, and how do you manage? I'm, I don't want to say how important is family. Family, of course, is very important to you, but um, how do you manage? raising a family while coaching uh, well you you have a great wife you, you know uh, carolyn has done a super job with our family and uh but it's it was easier with zach because i was he was always around i mean i was with him all the time my daughter it was more difficult uh because i didn't coach her she was volleyball basketball uh and so you know, I would take Ashley out on one night a week, you know, for a date night or something, trying to uh, get to know her better. And and uh, one of my big thrills was that uh, I got to introduce Ashley to her husband, Pete Flowers. That was one of my great thrills as a dad. And uh, I just got into Highland Park, and I had – noticed that there were kids lifting in the weight room so I went in the weight room and I saw these two guys lifting together and I said I'm coach Allen I'm new here don't know anybody this guy said mom Pete Flyers this is my brother Jim Flyers I said is your dad Paul Flyers and he said yes sir and I said well I played with Paul Flyers at SMU and he said yes sir that's my dad I said well my daughter goes to I said where do you go to school he said we go to Baylor and I said well my daughter goes to Baylor her name's Ashley Allen you ever met her and he said no sir I said, well, she's here this summer. She knows nobody in Highland Park. Would you mind if I, you know, if I introduced y'all? He said, I'd be fine, coach. So I told my wife, I, I had somebody I want Ashley to meet. And uh, she said, well, you need to do, set it up, you know, find a place and get a time and that kind of thing. So I called Pete. I said, can you meet me at Chili's at noon tomorrow? Uh, you know, Knox Henderson. He said, yes, sir, I will. But I didn't tell Ashley. <laughs> so <laughs> we're walking. Blind at, day. At the, yeah. I just got in Highland Park. We live in apartments over there on Knox Anderson. So we're walking across the parking lot to go to Chili's, and Pete's there, uh, standing there. And I said, Ashley, I didn't tell you, but there's a guy that I met named Pete Flowers that I want you to meet. He goes to Baylor, and uh, I just thought it'd be nice if we had lunch together, something like that. And so she starts dragging her feet. No, Dad, I'm not gonna <laughs> do. No, I'm gonna. So we sit down and. And uh, so about three years later, I get a phone call. And uh, Pete said, Coach, I'd like to come in and talk to you. And uh, so downstairs, I had an office, and he said, Coach, you know, I want to ask your daughter to marry me. I said, Pete, you got my blessing. And so anyway, that was uh, oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's and fantastic. Uh, when I'm coaching out here on the Highlanders field, they, they live right across the street, and I hear them jumping on the trampoline. So <clears throat> success at Abilene Cooper, what – what events led to you being hired here at Holland Park? And did you ever think that you would leave Abilene Cooper? I did think I would leave Abilene Cooper when they changed the boundaries. And it's hard for people to understand how deep it goes with somebody that played at Abilene Cooper. But when I was hired, they did not tell me they were going to adjust the boundaries of the school district. And uh, when I grew up there, it was, you know, down the railroad tracks. There was the north side and the south side. We were the south side with the new school, and Abilene High was the older school. Well, they changed the boundaries. And after they changed the boundaries, I'd, it was not the same school that I grew up in, not the same neighborhood, same community. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I want to go to a school district where the boundaries are established, established. They're not going to be moved. There's a one high school town where football is important, and they've got tradition. And uh, I didn't know Highland Park. I mean, even though I went to SMU, I didn't know. I, I knew Scott Smith. And uh, I had worked at Canicook Camp. And a lot of people from Highland Park had gone to Canicook Camp. And uh, Johnny Coons had called me one time and told me the job was open. And so anyway, it was very unusual circumstances that, that I would be involved in this job. So... You're coming to Highland Park, and, and what you just said is Highland Park to a T. It's it's a 
football-rich tradition here. Highland Park is the winningest program in the state of Texas. More wins than any other high school. So that's got to be a little bit intimidating. But you come in, you've had 19 years here as a head coach. And one of the things that I see that's very important to you that you reinforce with the boys over and over again is the traditions. Is that something that already existed or did you bring that with you? No, uh, we were actually third in wins when I got here. Plano and Amarillo High were ahead of us, but we've distanced ourselves since I've been here. Uh, Well, what I wanted to know from the here this is a really good example of tradition here i met they'd already elected captains so i met with the three captains and i where we at abilene cooper we had a blow up cougar head and we had a smoke machine we had a couple of players that had been killed in a car wreck so we had their names above the run through so before each game they'd play the fight song we'd get the smoke machines and we'd run through that cougar head the inflatable cougar head so I I told the guys, our captains, I said, uh, what do you guys think about us having a blow-up Scotsman or whatever? I didn't know, but, you know, something that had Highland Park. Run through a kilt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they said, Coach, we don't do that here. Yeah. I said, what uh, what do you do here? They said, well, the football girls, they make a a paper run-through, and the bells make a victory line, and they play the fight song, we run through it. I said, okay, if that's what you do here, that's what we'll do. But I tried to – I just made it a point not to try to change anything when I got here just to find out what they did because they had ownership of this place. And uh, so I just watched them. I didn't change the calisthenics or the, the – Oh, by the way, I think it's important to point out, there is still no blow-up no. Scotsman or smoke machine going out on the field. <laughs> no. And I just watched what they did and whatever Coach Smith did. I mean, I was – you know, I had my own personality, and I got to bring some of our, co- you know, the coaches that I'd worked with before in here. But I also inherited some of the coaches that had coached here for quite a while. We did the chants, uh, you know, a lot of things that that had been traditionally done here. We tried to continue that, uh, and uh, so I, here's what I believe: I I'd been to places where there was no tradition. But I'd also been to places where there was great tradition. And if you have a place that has great tradition, you need to embrace it. You need to use it uh, to help your players understand that they're obligated to play for something bigger than themselves. That there were men that played here before you that established a great winning tradition. And that, you know, leave it better than you found it is a part of our culture. And we talk about that a lot. So, you know, winningest high school program in the state of Texas. You know, there's tons of tradition here and, and you know, people in the community, you know, they, they ask this question openly. I mean, what is it about Highland Park that, that produces such consistently good football teams? Is, it, is there anything else other than just tradition? I mean, obviously great head coaching and, and assistant coaches and support here, but is there something in the water um, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a it's it's not a two word answer. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. If if I could simplify it, it would be that parents raise their children who have been successful, so they expect to be successful. That's number one. You got to have good mamas and daddies. Secondly, is that. Uh, from the seventh grade, well, even from YMCA, uh, those daddies are teaching those kids fundamentals, and they know our offense. I mean, I've had dads ask me, you know, what are you doing offensively? I mean, they're shotgun snapping, and they're doing the no huddle, and they're doing all the things that, that we do. They're calling plays the same thing. But once we get them, and we have camps in the summer, and we, when we have a camp, we'll show highlight films or documentaries of great Scott football teams, and we want them dreaming about being Scots. That's why the state championship parade is so important, because after we d- talk in the gazebo, there's tables where those little boys can get autographs. And it, That's your recruiting process, huh? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it starts dreams. It yeah. starts dreams. And what you've got to have to continue tradition is you've got to have kids dreaming to be like the boys that are just graduating. And... Uh, so to keep it going, you got to keep those 
images and those plays and those teams and those players, you got to put them in a good light so your players that are coming up want to be like them. And uh, right now our guys know, you know, they can they know what positions they want to play. Then they kind of picked it out, and uh, so that's that's the other part. I mean it. And then we talk to our guys five minutes every day after practice. And uh, our coaches do a great job of creating the culture. And I've got a list of buzzwords that our players will be able to repeat to you about who we are, what we stand for, what are our values. And one thing I started about four years ago was our core values. And I go down to seventh or eighth grade, and they can all do this. Commitment, enthusiasm, mental and physical toughness, teamwork, integrity, and tradition. So those are the six words that every football player from seventh grade to senior in high school should be able to repeat to you. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Do you, the, uh, having a ninth grade son, I know that he knows all those and learned them for a while. Do you find it more challenging, though, today getting through to boys than it was, say, 30 years ago? I, I don't see a whole lot of difference, but I, I know this. We didn't have to take up cell phones in pregame when, <laughs> in 30 years ago, <laughs> and we do that now. We take up cell phones, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't – I think kids, first of all, they sense sincerity, and I think they sense genuineness, and I think they know that we care about them. I think they believe. Here's what I really saw in our football team the last two years is trust, and that is that for – I call it the four-way test, but you got to have players that believe in coaches. you got to have coaches believe in players. you got to have players that believe in players, and you got to have coaches believe in coaches, okay? If that – trust isn't there if there's any breakdown in any of those four relationships you're not going to make it when it's fourth and 15 and they come to the sidelines they've got to believe it that i'm going to come up with something that's going to work now it may not be a great play but they they've got to make it work and if they don't trust that that's going to be a good play then then it breaks down same way with Coach Wood. If Coach Wood tells them, you know, fist blue, we're going to be in fist blue this, they got to believe that that's the best defense that we could be in. And uh, that's where you get those unbelievable games like we played against Manville is when there's that kind of trust between the team and the coaches and they believe and execute what you tell them to. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. Uh, not this past championship game, but the prior one, the 2016 state championship game. I was at the clap out for the, uh, for the team and I was talking to a teacher. It was during finals and some of the seniors were in there and, and uh, she was saying they were showing her, them game film of Temple. Yeah. And their players and they're like, oh my goodness, this guy is unbelievable. What are y'all gonna do? And they were, had the utmost confidence. They said, don't worry, Coach Allen has a plan. <laughs> Which I think is a testament to that trust that the yeah. players have in you. How do you build your staff around you to make sure that they have the same values and vision that you do? Well, I mean, first of all, if, if I've coached with somebody before, I mean, if, if I know somebody that they've coached for, that's always a good reference point. But there are times when I just go from recommendations from coaches that I trust and do interviews, but uh, there are certain coaches that are attracted to Highland Park, uh, and uh, they, if they, you know, they like winning, they like the family atmosphere, they like, uh, you know, I mean, they know I'm a Christian coach. I mean, if they like those things, then this is a good place for them. And, uh we don't cuss our kids, and, and we love our kids, and we're going to text them, and we're going to treat each position. Each position coach is going to have his own little group, and uh, he's going to build into them the values that are very important. And I still started doing something this year I hadn't done before. I started having each position, <coughs> each position on the team over to my house to eat pizza on Monday night. So. It was Monday night football, so I would have 
one night I have the secondary over to eat. The next night I might have the backs, running backs over to eat. The next night I might have the wide receivers. And the purpose of that was to connect our kids and coaches in, in a non-school atmosphere, you know, at home where we could get to know them better. So Highland Park is no different than any other Texas community. You have parents who are rabid football fans, you know, alumni, obviously, um, and they have children. And as they enter into athletics, let's say starting flag football at now kindergarten age, and now you see tackle football, 11-man starting Mm -hmm. as early as third and fourth grade. What advice do you have to parents just in general in terms of the expectations that they set for their children as it relates to football? And then I'll, I'll ask you a follow-up question, which is at what age do you think, in your opinion, is the appropriate age to play tackle football? I, I think, number one, a young person, need, young people need to have fun at whatever level they play. And uh, when I go to a game and I, and I see a, a dad uh, being very critical or being very loud or being very overly competitive and not allowing the boys to have fun, then, then I worry because, you know, if they have a good experience with football when they're young, they're going to probably continue. But if they have a bad experience anywhere in that period of time, there's a chance that they might drop out. So my thing is I started playing organized football when I was in the fourth grade. That's me. And it was with a school coach. It was with an elementary coach. And uh, I played baseball for my dad, <clears throat> but I didn't play football. I was in the fourth grade. So if you ask me what grade I think would be good, I mean, I'm not going to be critical of any dad who gets his son involved. But, you know, flag football is better when you're younger and the older you get, you know, Football, tackle football is okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to – every boy is a little bit different. Yeah. I've seen, you know, maturity-wise a different level. I like it. Uh, I like our YMCA program. I back it. And uh, I like the idea that we get them as seventh graders, and that's the first time that that we put pads on them and we work them out. So I'll never be critical – of a parent who wants to get their kid involved, I just say back off and let them yeah. have fun and don't put pressure on them that they've got to be Johnny Unitas or got to be some great player when they're young. Just let them play, let them develop, and let them find a position they enjoy playing. And touch pass is a great game to play. You're not, your chance of injury is not high, and you still get to develop the skills, and everybody gets to touch the ball. You know, as parents, I mean, the, the level of success that you've established here, not just, not just in the football program, but, but the entire athletic department here at Highland Park, and you produce now world-class athletes like Matt Stafford, Clayton Kershaw, and, and there are parents here who think that, well, you yep. know, my, my little Johnny or Susie, you know, grew up in the same community, went to the same elementary and middle and high school, so therefore I expect them right. to be able to do that. And reality is, man, that is, that is one in a million. Yeah. Um, and, and as parents, I think, you know, we talk about this, Brett and I do, just we see the pressure, the immense amount of pressure that parents put on kids. And, and, and this is a personal commentary, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to see, tough to watch, because these kids are kids at the end of the day. And, and it's just it's kind of a, yeah. an element of, of the community in, in which we live. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm in, because I've got eight grandkids in the Highland Park School District. So I'm in. You know, I mean, I see it. And, uh, you know, my granddaughter that's a sixth grader if she wants to be a volleyball player does she play club volleyball and spend all year working on that yeah uh or does she, or maybe she doesn't make the team if she doesn't i mean so that that those are concerns of mine i that was never part of my growing up i mean when i grew up you just played whatever's yeah. in season so uh you know I, again i just think you have fun and and <laughs> The reality of it is, is that it gets really, really competitive when you have uh, a limited number of kids on a team as you grow up. 
And uh, so it causes parents to make decisions on what sport their kid plays and how much, you know, how much off-season am I going to put into it and that kind of thing. And I, I wish it weren't that way. I wish it was just let's just play what's in season and have and – the, and the good thing about football is that if you come out and you you're, attend every practice and you do what you're asked to do, you can be on the football team. That's not the way in every sport. You know, we'll graduate 55 seniors every year. We'll start off with 100, 110 freshmen. So our attrition rate is about 50%. And, uh, but they, do, they all have the opportunity to be a part of the football team. And uh, so that's one of the good things about yeah. Yeah. our program no, as opposed to a, t a program where you do have to cut. So we're getting close to the, the end of our time here, Coach Allen. So thank you very much for I being with us. I still got a handful of questions for you. Um, <laughs> and this no, it's been great. I've actually taken down some notes, and I'm going to recap this here in a little bit that, that are not just bits for coaching, but kind of for life. But uh, I've got some more questions for you. So with the success you've had, you had to have had the opportunity to go on to higher levels of coaching. What made you stay in high school? Well, my best experiences were in high school. And uh, I never had a goal to be a college coach. Uh, and so as a result of that, I've never been torn between making that jump. There is an age and a time if you're going to make that jump. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're going to be a college coach, most of the time you're a graduate assistant. You go from there and you get on somebody's staff and then you work your way up. You do a lot of moving. Uh, I just never that 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 never appealed to me. What appealed to me was coaching high school young people, who who I just think the high school coach has a chance to make a bigger impact on the life than a college coach. I think guys get there when they're 19, 20, 21 years old, and they're pretty well set in their ways. I'm not saying that all the time because I know college coaches can have a great impact as well, but. My platform was high school, and I've never doubted that that was the right decision. So that, that begs the second question is, how much longer do you see yourself doing it? Are there more goals that you have that you want to accomplish? Well, I, there are more goals. And, uh, you know, the qu I, I'm going to ask you a question. You know, what else could I do to have more impact on young people than coaching? And I've thought about that. Uh, and the answer is there's nothing I could do that have more impact on young people. So that's the answer to your question. You know, I Why quit I, doing something you love, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm healthy and uh, I am still think I'm getting better. I'm still learning. I'm still effective. And uh, so, you know, I enjoy what I'm doing. I mean, this is the last couple of years have been dreams come true. I mean, yeah. this is – I mean, we've, we've won two state championships here when – there wasn't anybody gave us a chance, and uh, I can't explain it. All I can say is that our kids just exceeded expectations and rose to the occasion, and, and there's a great – John Stevens said it great. Uh, after the game, he said there's a brotherhood and a love between our players, and, uh, you know, I want our kids to have a good experience with football, and uh, I want to give them the best chance to win and be successful on the field. So and, speaking of, of impact – Everybody is familiar with the superstar players that have played for you. Uh -huh. What about those players where they didn't have uh -huh. the skills and abilities of, you know, let's say the upper, you know, 20%, 25%. <laughs> Are there any players or player that, that left uh, an indelible impact on you that didn't have those skills and abilities for whatever reason, whether they were a leader or a hard yeah. worker or... Is there anybody through the years that really is fresh in your memory? Well, I'm going to, I don't know if I should mention his name, but I'm going to Brian Newman. Brian Newman was, uh, I don't know, five foot six at best, maybe not that tall. Slightly built, great leader, great character, was elected to the player committee, which means that his teammates elected him to be one of the 12 leaders on the football team. As a senior, Brian Newman did not get to play in one game. I didn't realize this. We have senior night. When senior night, we try to get everybody in a game if they haven't played before. Well, somehow, we overlooked it. And 
so I didn't find this out till he already graduated. So he had a tremendous attitude. He was always encouraging his teammates. We do a thing now we call the 12th Man Award, uh, which means that it's somebody on the sideline that's getting water for their teammates or they're, they're helping the trainers or helping the coaches or doing something on the sidelines during the game. Uh, to be a positive role uh, impact on the on the players, and uh, he would have been that guy almost every game. Because I asked him, I said, Brian, what what went through your mind as the season progressed and you saw that you weren't going to get in? He said, Coach, I realized that I had to get a, I had to find my role on the team, and he said my role was to encourage my teammates and to work hard and practice, give a hundred percent. And, and to be there to support him on the sidelines. And, and uh, he said, that was my role, and, and I accepted it and had a good experience with football. And, uh, you know, he's a great young man and, and has – I don't know how to explain it, but he went through this experience and never said a word to a coach, never complained, never said a word, never had a bad attitude, just always had a positive attitude, went through the whole season. And I apologized to him because we should have gotten him in. And, uh, but it didn't affect his attitude, his role on the team, and the impact he had on his teammates. So that brings up another question. And I think it's probably harder when you look at, you know, I, I, again, I mentioned legend earlier on. And you look at guys like Nick Saban or Bill Belichick that I think have it a little bit easier because they can kind of control to a degree who their, their players are going to be. You have no control over who your players are going to be. It's a new crop that comes in every year. How do you manage uh, or, or really evaluate talent? Because from seventh grade to ninth grade, from ninth grade to twelfth grade, these boys are changing physically in, in a substantial way. How do you try to figure out who's going to be the best players once they're seniors and you're really going for another state championship? We've had a lot of late bloomers here, guys that maybe we didn't think they had the ability to be a starter and yet they proved us wrong and wound up being a senior starter. Cole Bonner fits in that category. We do a talk with our eighth graders about, you know, B team or C team to starter. You know, we'll take a guy down there that's a starter on a varsity, but when he was in middle school, he played on a B team or C team. And the reason we do that is to encourage those little boys because you don't know when you're going to mature. You don't know what you're going to turn out to be. So don't give up on it early. Give it some time because it's easy to get discouraged if I'm not on an A team or whatever. But you see some of these guys who you don't even recognize them between their junior and senior year. They grow so much. And uh, they've got the attitude, but they just haven't had the growth spurt yet. But when that kicks in, and the other thing is our guys usually graduate their they, – they can make the grades so their parents usually start them early. I mean, you know what I'm saying. They yeah. may be 17 years old when they graduate. Uh, instead of 18 so they're young and uh luke blanton's a good example he started defensive tackle uh in for us on the 2016 state championship team he could have still played another year but his parents started him in school a year earlier uh, so we just evaluate we watch them you know we probably we have coaches at every level that watch them every year and then we I have depth charts as they come up, and you know, we're always evaluating them. And spring training is an important time when they get to compete against each other right before they go home for the summer. And, you know, they – we like to think that uh, through competition they earn their positions. You know, they earn the right to play by the way they perform in spring training and in practice before the season gets started. So – the other thing about our guys is that next man up has been a big part of our program. Yeah. And in 2016, we lost four starters uh, to permanent injuries. And then we lost three more to, for two or three games in the playoffs. And the guys that stepped in to play did, did just as well as the guys that were injured. And so there's the thought that I've got to practice as hard as I can because I never know when my opportunity is going to come. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's one of the reasons we're able to keep 55 seniors out and continue to have a good team for year in and year out. So uh, last question for you. For new coaches coming up, what advice do you have for them? I think uh, the word coach 
commands respect. And I that word, I still call my coach Coach Green. I don't call him Merrill Green. I call him Coach Green. And uh, the M, I, I would just hope that every coach would realize the impact they can have on young people and use their position to have a positive impact on young people. And never put coaching ahead of their own families, but use the time that they have with these young people to, to uh, leave a lasting impact and teach the values that are gonna help these young men be better parents, better businessmen, better husbands, better fathers. And I think you've given us some, some nice uh, food for thought along that lines from not thinking about the, you can't be thinking about the next play if you're emotional about the last play. You've got to have thinking and a thought process about winning. Uh, make sure you're playing for something bigger than yourself. <laughs> and the one that I like is just having a date night with your daughter. If you don't spend as much time yeah. with her, then, then it's a great time to get out. But thank you very much for your time, yeah, Dave. Coach, really appreciate it. Much. It's been great. Thank you, Rob.